yeah, those techniques are all over the map. They apply to streamers, dry flies, nymphs, um, all sorts of stuff. Well, since you asked, <laughs> there are a couple that really just get disregarded. And because everybody goes, oh, I know, I know, I know. The biggest one to me, and I see it when I'm teaching fly tying classes, is you have to be able to see what you're tying. And I mean really see it, okay? And people say, I can't see it. That was Tim Flagler talking about his 182 one-minute tying tutorials. How to make cleaner flies, 10 Flagler bonus tips, and video production quality today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Check out uh, our Ask a Pro segment where you can ask a question and get feedback on an upcoming episode. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash askapro to submit your question right now. And if you have a tying question for Tim, you can do that right now. Just head over. It only takes a couple of uh, couple minutes. Before we get started, let's hear from our sponsors. Togan's Fly Shop, providing superior products at an affordable price. An amazing resource for fly tying materials, tools, and fishing accessories. Since 2005, Togan's has been over-delivering on price, service, and passion. And now it's time to discover the Togan's buzz for yourself. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Togan's to get started today. That's wetflyswing.com slash Togan's, T-O-G-E-N-S. Togan's. Angler's Coffee, roast a full range of coffees with one goal in mind, delivering excellent coffee to every single angler. With a blend for every taste, a dry dropper on the go tea bag option, and a roast sampler, you know Joe at Angler's has you covered. Head over to wetflyswing.com anglers to support a sustainable company with unsurpassed taste right now. That's wetflyswing.com slash anglers, A-N-G-L-E-R-S, to get going right now. Tim Flagler, one of the most unique and cleanest fly tying channels on YouTube, is here today. Tim talks about how it came to be by accident, where he is focusing his time uh, currently, and some insight on how he produces his episode and how he put this all together so this is a uh, really had a fun one here with tim looking forward to uh, sharing this it really doesn't get any bigger or better than this one so without further ado here is tim flagler from tight lines productions how's it going tim uh good dave uh happy to be here on wet fly swing thanks for making the time this morning you're uh oh, sure I, when i think of all the stuff all the youtube channels and youtubers out there in the fly tying space your channel is for sure uh, probably the most unique if you look at just the angle of how you do your videos, right? But also the production quality is awesome. So we're going to dig into all that, everything you have going on the fly tying end. And But uh, start us off. Take us all the way back to how fly fishing, how you first got into this thing and how you got the, into fly tying. Sure, sure. Um, fly fishing started when I was in college. I was uh, upstate New York at a small college, St. Lawrence University. And um situated right up near the St. Lawrence Seaway above the Adirondacks and started fishing, just, you know, spin fishing for trout freshman year with a, you know, bunch of guys I'd met. And, um, with the help of a couple of, uh, professors there, they, they got us sort of as a group into, to fly fishing. And boy, I, I mean, that was, it was kind of off to the races, uh, 
for me from there. And I think a lot of it was more geographic location had the had the salmon river you know in the ontario tribs uh hour and 20 minutes to the south and west um the adirondacks and you know all the small streams and, and rivers that flow north out of the adirondacks just right right wow. there and then virtually all of canada with an easy reach to the north so <laughs> it, i mean it's kind of like fly fisherman's paradise up there and uh very rural uh you know not a lot of fishing pressure anywhere and again i i, I some of the professors that i had who were also fly fishermen just um you know really helped out coming huh. onto water that um you know, was private land and things like that. And, you know, just close the fences when you leave. And right. it was wonderful. If my parents had any idea, um, they never would have let me go to school there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So you've yeah. got, um, so you get into it, you're loving it. It sounds like it's just, it becomes a, a big passion. When does all the production, the, the kind of the tight lines and the YouTubing and all that stuff come to be? That was much, much later, Dave. It was, so what happened is I graduated from college, came back to New Jersey, uh, where I spent most of my life, and um, realized that New Jersey had some some great fly fishing here. But uh, I was in a town called Summit in closer to, to Manhattan, into closer to New York, and worked there for um, a few years, but was racing west, you know, about an hour almost every night after work to come out out uh, to western New Jersey to fish, and and so did that. But was working for an educational publisher at the time, and worked worked for them for almost fourteen years, and that's where the video production oh, came gotcha. from. Um, yeah, I was producing video with them. And so, you know, video really became my, my trade and the, the company ended up moving to Atlanta. I wanted to stay here and for a variety of other reasons. And my wife, Joan and I ended up starting Tightline Productions in 1998. And so we've done all sorts of uh, video production all over the map, but the, the fly tying, I, I got, I wish I could tell you it was some grand business plan and <laughs> that YouTube was, you know, something that I saw coming, but honestly, it was totally by accident. I, we, we were doing, uh, for a candle company of all things, we were doing some macro work for them, uh, on the wicks burning <laughs> and <laughs> I, I needed a kind of a stand in for a candle and was just kind of looking around my studio and there was a fly tying vice with a fly in it that just happened to be the exact same height as the candle wick and so Amazing. put that in it did did the focus and lens work with that and kind of went wow man i can get real real close to the fly and that's <laughs> honestly that that's how it started and uh, a friend of mine asked me this is the wild part a friend of mine who i'd fished with uh, we were fishing this this weird little pattern, the Y2K. It's kind of like a glow bug, and and it, it's the simplest pattern in the world. But he was like, you 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 know, you're a video producer. Do a video of how to tie it. And so I did this little stupid video, and and uh, and it's like this is going way back. And I didn't know anything about YouTube. Yeah, you, you couldn't drop box it. It was just too big, and so. I ended up putting it up on YouTube. I didn't have a clue as to what would happen. Um, and I looked at it, I put it up the next morning and there are like 10 views on the thing. 
And I called the guy up and I said, how many times do you have to watch that video to figure it out? And he, he goes, I haven't even watched it yet. And I'm like, what? Well, I, I don't get it. And so went back and looked again and they're like 50 views on the thing. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of interesting. And that's basically how we got started. And that's how you did it. Yeah, totally random, totally by accident, the, the things that came together. And, and, uh, you know, I've always enjoyed fly tying. I, I, I think since, since day one and like, like many people, it's, it's kind of come and gone over the years for me. I have been kind of sidetracked by other things, but it really has been just kind of a constant, all, always there, you know, tying, um, at least once or twice a week and, you know, oftentimes a lot more than that, but, um, and so, yeah, just, just sort of fit. And we, we, we had the video gear, we've upped some of the video gear specifically for the, the macro work, which is what, why I believe our video looks, you know, I produce it as a video editor, not really as a fly tire, uh, which is a, is a different animal altogether. And, uh, you know, there's some great video fly tires out there, but there are not many that have a true video background in production. So no, that's it. Yeah. That's what makes it unique for sure. When you, when you, I mean, just, you know, literally, I mean, the audio too on it is very unique. I mean, it sounds, I'm not sure. Maybe if we have time, we'll dig into some of that. And, you know, your channel, I think you're getting close to reaching 100,000 subscribers, oh, right? On, yeah. Has that been a, uh, <laughs> when you think back, I'm sure you never thought of 100,000 people, but I mean, like, what, what does that feel like now that you're, is that, has that been a goal for you? It is now because some other guys have gotten, uh, Davey McPhail, uh, got, to, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he got to a hundred thousand and, um, uh, my buddy Colin McEwen up at the new fly fisher in Canada, he's, he, he recently made a hundred thousand and we're like so close. So I, I would urge anybody, <laughs> please. Yeah, we'll get you, we'll get you over the hub. This, this, <laughs> this, uh, this podcast is going to put you there, Tim. Yeah. It like 98, five and, and growing at 500, uh, it looks like about 500 new subscribers every month. I was really hoping to hit the, the hundred thousand by the, by the new year, but, um, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it, it, it really is. But one of the things that just blows me away, Dave is, is not the subscribers necessarily, but when you go in and in the YouTube or Google analytics, you can see how many hours people oh, have spent yeah. watching the videos. <laughs> and I just yeah. kind of, I, I look at it every month and I go, you know, if people weren't watching this productivity around the globe would probably increase, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's what are we just, talking? When you look at time, is it like million or what, what is the, what is the number? Yeah. Overall it's, it's, it is millions of hours and, millions and, of hours. uh, yeah. And so I kind of feel bad in a way, <laughs> but that, that, um, you know, particularly people that are, that are watching when they're at the office and they're supposed right. to be doing other work and, uh, Hey, all good though. You don't do the, uh, uh, the subtitles right on your videos or do you do those? No. Um, and I think most people can figure it out. Yeah. Because of the way we shoot it there, they can figure it out. It's, um, you know, the, the narration helps, but it's not absolutely critical. Gotcha. You know, the, the narration is killer and, 
Yeah, everything's good. And I'm sure most of the people listening, uh, you know, know of you or have probably watched your videos. Uh, I'm curious. So back, take us back to 98. And I don't remember because 98 was before my time as far as the, <laughs> the online production stuff. I mean, you're way ahead, which is cool. What was, I mean, who else was out there on YouTube? Uh, like, who were there any other players that are out there now still that were going then? Do you remember that at all? Yeah, well, that going back that the first time video I did was later than that. We started the business in 1998. And so probably the, the first time I put anything on YouTube, and I, gosh, I should know this, uh, is probably about 10 years ago. Okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, 2011, 2010, 2011, I think. And, gotcha. um, yeah, there were a few and many of them have dropped off. Interestingly, um, they're no longer producing and some guys, um, it's been a while now, uh, but we were in this weird transition at the time too, between, um, kind of the end of DVDs being really, you know, really hot and great for conveying information. And so, so we produced a DVD, a couple of DVD series on like fly casting and things like that. I did one with, um, a guide out in Pennsylvania named Eric Straup and Charlie Mack, who, who's unfortunately no longer with us. And, but you know, that was right at that, that kind of changeover between what you could do online and DVDs. And so, yeah, there were some other guys producing, but I, I really, I'm gosh, I'm blanking on names. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. I can, I can imagine some of them that were out there probably, uh, we could probably just go back and take a look at some of the big channels and flight tying and imagine they were there at the start. Um, on your camera, so this is really interesting because you have this front view and, and a lot of the other, I'm not sure, I don't think many other people, even some of the bigger flight tying channels, I'm trying to think, does David McVail, I'm not even sure if he does the front. No, he he does not do it from the tire. I do it from the tire's, from the tire's perspective, view. yeah. And and um, his camera is in front and um, as it is for most people. And the, the problem is, is even, um, with a smaller, you know, 4k camera, it's a lot of gear between you and the fly and it, it takes some getting used to. And I've had, uh, other tires come in and, and tie and just cannot get used to having the camera there. And a lot of this has to do it, it because it's so critical with macro, the distance you are away from the fly with say the front of the camera lens, um, you, you need to have a workable distance. So when you're say, um, wrapping a, a dubbing noodle around the fly, you know, and you have four or five inches of right. tying thread, you don't want to be hitting the camera lens. Um, how far you as a person needs to be away from the fly to correctly focus, whether you're using magnification or not, it's almost impossible for me anyway, to look through the camera LCD screen and tie the fly because you lose your depth perception doing that. And so that, <clears throat> that having the camera between me and the fly is, is a really, really, it took a lot to get that system. So it's workable for me. Um, and I, 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 uh, don't want to go into too much detail on, on no. that gear if we could. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we don't have to do that for sure. No, I, I think, uh, it's more interesting, more, more for me, what you're tying and what you're producing and, and the, the, um, you know, the nerdy, uh, YouTube video production yeah. stuff isn't critical here, but it is interesting because you're the only one doing it for the most part. And, and, and it is a lot of work. Have you, have you done that since the beginning? Have you always done it that way? Yeah, it was um, back when I was uh, actually doing that video series for uh, Charlie Mack and Eric Straub. Uh, 
I had a really large, you know, think big shoulder, uh, like beta SP camera at the time. Um, and with no way to put it between the tire and the, and the fly. And so shot over the shoulder and, um, and that, that was okay. But I always knew I really wanted to get the tires perspective. It just, uh, just kind of critical for me. And that, that was one of the things that, said said early on if if um if i'm gonna do it and be serious about it i want it to be from the tires perspective i also the thing that i noticed is many people when when they're doing these videos they just leave the camera on the fly you never see materials prep right yeah and materials prep is it's such an important part i i mean it's easily 50 percent of the time and i've just felt that it was so critical that you be able to show that and so and again this is where you know little video experience comes in real handy and in, in having the video gear available um i can have multiple cameras and uh, and you know understand editing uh, better than most and and that you know that's that's how that comes about that's right that's kind of the is that like the b-roll or, or yeah yep and, you know, sometimes it, it depends on what I'm doing. I'll, I'll do it right along, you know, in, I'll prep the materials, then move the camera back to the fly, tie in those materials, then move the camera back to the materials. Other times I'll have a second camera or even a third camera. It, it really just depends on the, the, the pattern and, and, uh, how much is involved in the materials prep. Nice. Yeah, no, it's been cool because I've obviously, like a lot of people, watched lots of your videos. And, I, you know, I tend to link out to whenever I'm searching for, like, I have some guest on it and they'll mention a pattern. You know, I'll search up that pattern. And you're usually up there on top of the list. I mean, does it, uh, have you had to do much work as far as, I mean, imagine you've been there since now 10 years um, getting the word out there. Has this been just like organic growth for you over the years? It has been organic growth. We are doing a few things now. I mean, the, our relationship with Orvis, with, you know, it's fairly casual relationship, honestly, but um, has helped a lot. And just we we do I do a tips and techniques video every Monday with them, um, and so that's gotten the word out. We're working with new uh, the new fly fisher and uh, the Jensens, Dave and Amelia Jensen, kind of as a collaborative. Um, trading links back and forth, which is re a really unique thing and um, kind of a new thing for us, but it seems to be working very well. Plus, we have really very long-term relationships with both Orvis and MidCurrent. Um, so when I have a new video, like I had one that, that just went up last night, um, and both of them uh, will put that video up today. I, I think Orvis has already put the, the video for this week up and Midcurrent runs it in their, their newsletter. And so they, they've been just great. I, a huge reach between those two as well. You know, that in turn leads to, you end up getting higher up in the Google searches. And, uh, you know, that's what really warms my heart when I go in and just into the a Google or a YouTube search field and key in woolly bugger and my video comes up first. That just, I love it when that happens. Yeah, it's the one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think it's your, all the yeah. woolly buggers, your number one fly you know, tying tutorial. Yeah. 
I'm curious, you mentioned uh, fly casting, and I know you do some other stuff. Maybe just um, kind of talk about a newbie, somebody may, maybe hasn't watched your whole channel or watched all the videos. Can you describe it? I mean, it sounds like, I mean, obviously the fly tying's there, but you do a lot of different things, vi uh, reviews and things like that. What, what, how would you describe it? It's mainly, uh, mainly fly tying for the channel, and but I also do, you know, fly tying tips. Those are done kind of in conjunction with Orvis, but they're on my YouTube channel. I also, do, I will do um, not really product reviews, but if I have a piece of gear that really works for me, I'm going to say something about it. I mean, I, I really, I'm not a gear hound, I guess, but if I have something that works, I want other people to know about it. And it, it you know, it's really not a, a salesy, pushy promotional thing. It, it's more like guys, this thing works. And so there's some of that, some of our most popular videos, believe it or not, not fly tying, but not tying. That's right. The blood knot. Yep. The blood knot, I believe in, in terms of YouTube revenue is, is our, our greatest producer over the years. And, and, uh, I go back and look at it every now and again and, and kind of go, wow, I, man, I was on top of my game back then. <laughs> it really is. Oh, Roy, so that's still a good video? Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's the wonderful thing about YouTube and is that on YouTube, it's kind of, for now anyway, it's up there for life. Whereas, you know, something that goes up on Instagram or Facebook is kind of fleeting. And so... Um, this is both good and bad. I have videos that I put up years ago that I can't stand. I look at and I cringe, but I don't want to take them down. That's right. Well, give me so Tim, what, not to call you oh. out, but I'm curious. So, what, what do we if we want to look up what? What do you got there? Uh, are, these, are these tag videos just the? I tell you what, the one that I really hate and it's going to come up again and again is uh, my muddler minnow that's on there. I don't like the way it came out at all. It's um, and. In next month's tie-off with Rosenbauer, we're both going to tie traditional muddler minnows. And so, at, like, if I started practicing right now, Dave, I might, <laughs> I might be able to do something that's acceptable. I can't stand that fly. Yeah, the muddler. Is that just the deer hair trimming and stuff like that? or? Oh, well, that I mean, it, it, the deer hair trimming is one thing, getting the collar right, getting the head right, but it's the mottled turkey tail and wing, you know, when it's tied traditionally, that, oh, it just, it can go sideways so quick. And then Rosenbauer's insisting on a traditional tinsel body, you know, no no mylar. Yep. Those are tough. Yeah, which ups the game even more. And so I, I know there's some guys out there that tie great muddlers. I'm not one of them. That was a question I was kind of thinking about for you because I, you know, your your videos, you know, look so clean and good. But I mean, tying is not easy. You know, you mentioned Davey uh, McVale. I mean, he is right. Those dry flies. I mean, I'm terrible at the cat skill style dry flies, and I always love watching people because it's so beautiful. When you think of yourself, I mean, do you have like a superpower as far as fly tying? Do you feel like you have a type of fly you either are better at or enjoy doing, or and, there, and is there one that you're not as good at? No, not really. And here's the weird thing, Dave. What has always interested me in fly tying are not the patterns. It's the techniques that you use to make the patterns. And so I don't get real fixated on like one specific genre and and absolutely killing it. And and I, I don't want to take anything away from people that do that. You know, somebody who really goes after traditional wet flies, you know, um, Davey or uh, 
like Davey Watton or somebody like that, right? Somebody who spends their yeah, whole- or Don Bastian was amazing uh, with, with the things, yeah. and so and that's super cool. Or the guys that really are after the traditional cat skill style dries. I, they're just spectacular. They're some of the most elegant flies on the planet. Um, but to to me, I'm more after the techniques and particularly techniques that allow say an advanced beginner tire to get to that next level, to, to get into intermediate and advanced intermediate tying. And they're little things, you know, you know, like cording and uncording your thread throughout the tying process that allows you to do different things. It's, you know, ways of wrapping peacock curl. So, so it stays nice and fluffy, say on a Prince body, uh, j- just those little techniques are, are what really keep me going. And, and, um, that, that's why I find myself always searching for are, are the techniques, not, not really patterns specifically or, or groups of patterns. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Daddy Flies, established in 1928, is the oldest family-run fly shop in the world. And you know I'm all about the history and fly fishing, which is one reason I'm super stoked to have Daddy on as a sponsor this year. Long before I made my first order with Daddy, I remember hearing stories about the quality and the history and always wanting to connect deeper with them. So that time has come now, and I share the Daddy tradition with you. Located in Livingston Manor on the banks of Willow Weemock Creek, Deddy is your welcoming place on the creek or online. Their retail and online shop have a large selection of flies, materials, fly gear, outdoor lifestyle items, books, and more. Deddy Fly's inventory consists solely of products that meet every angler's demand for highest quality and service. Of course, they offer fly fishing and casting lessons as well as guided trips. For more information, visit Deddy Flies at wetflyswing.com slash Deddy or give them a call 845-439-1166. That's wetflyswing.com slash Deddy, D-E-T-T-E. You support this podcast by clicking over through that link to Deddy. Okay, let's get back to the show. It's an awesome reminder for everybody because, yeah, I think sometimes we get stuck in, you know, like the pattern, even fishing, right? I got to have this pattern, which is not true, obviously. But, um, yeah, I love the technique. So so maybe we could talk a little more about you already, just the two you mentioned there, you know, uncording and, and wrapping. If somebody, where would you direct somebody or what would you tell somebody if they want to get to that next level as far as tips? Do you have, would you just send them over to like the Orvis and watch your videos? Or what would you tell them to, if they wanted to get like a bunch of these techniques that you're talking about, upper level stuff, what would you tell them? Specifically for would be the the I I think I have I think I just finished my hundred and eighty second uh, Orvis one minute tips and techniques and you know they're available throughout my YouTube channel but also through the Orvis Learning Center and there's just I mean at one minute long there's just as concise as I can make them they're not hyper detailed but it will really get you into those tips and techniques without having to weed through a whole fly. And so, yeah. And, and in doing it, I like, I, I think I have probably four or five different ways to make a parachute fly. And I'm not going to tell you which way is the best. It all depends on um, a lot of it depends on the quality of the materials you have, what materials you're use, using, plus your fly tying ability. And also a uh, 
quite frankly, some physical ability, uh, whether your your fingers are, you know, really large or whether you have small, nimble fingers, it makes a difference. And one technique that's going to work for one person isn't going to work for another. And then there's the thing is, as you become more advanced, a technique that you would use maybe a different technique that you're better at tying, you're more dexterous, uh, is going to work better for you. And, um, you know, the end result is going to look better. So I, I like giving people options as opposed to saying, this is the way you tie a parachute fly. Love that. And I was just doing the math in, in my head, uh, you know, pretty simple stuff. But yeah, I mean, 182 uh, minutes, essentially, uh, 182 videos. I mean, you're talking three hours. So somebody could bust over there right now and, and watch your, your channel for three hours and get <laughs> yeah, all those tips, yeah. right? Yeah, go clockwork orange on it, you know, put the toothpicks in their eyes and keep them open and uh, just make them stare at it and, and uh, see where you land after that. You'd probably be absolutely nutty, uh, but... Um, yeah, there's there's a lot in that in that three hours. Uh, gosh, I'm just curious, and I mean, I know you won't remember all the stuff, but what what are some other some tips that come to mind out of those 182? You know, you mentioned a couple. Anything else that would be good to ch- if they only had you know maybe a chance to take a look at ten other videos? Is it is it a mix of dry and and is it a mix of dry wet like kind of everything? Yeah, those techniques are all over the map. They apply to streamers, dry flies, nymphs, um, all sorts of stuff. Since you asked, <laughs> there are a couple that really just get disregarded and because everybody goes, oh, I know, I know, I know. The biggest one to me, and I see it when I'm teaching fly tying classes, is you have to be able to see what you're tying. And I mean really see it, okay? And people say, I can't see it. Well, with almost every, I mean, my eyes are terrible. Okay, I, I'm I'm very nearsighted, and I wear contact lenses so I can see far distances. But in turn, that kills my close-up vision. So I'm using magnifiers, three point fives, when I'm doing a lot of my tying, and lots of light. And those two things together will change the quality of how you tie flies. And I guarantee anybody who's out there that if they get the magnification and their distance from the fly correct and have enough light on it, your tying will get better. It is, it's so, so critical. And I, I realized that this was, this is going back years before the tying videos. I've been tying for quite a while. I think I was like 40, 42 years old and fishing with a friend and <laughs> He said, you know, let, let me see what you got in the fly box. And he's like looking through my fly box and he, he was being really nice about it. He goes, he goes, Tim, he goes, he goes, you used to be a better tire than this. And he goes, I hope <laughs> you don't take offense to it. And I'm like, geez, man, <laughs> so why just kick me <laughs> yeah. in the junk because wow. Um, but anyway, what I did was went back and I'm like, what's wrong with these flies and put them under magnifying glass. And my eyes had changed, and I honestly didn't even realize that I wasn't tying as well as I, I could. And that was really a big, pardon the pun, but an eye-opener for me. And it makes such a difference. And in like tying classes, people will go, oh, I can't see it. And it's like, I'm looking at the guy, you know, he's mid-70s and not wearing magnification. And I go... You know, I don't care how good your eyes are. Uh, magnification is going to help. 
What is the by magnification? And we're just talking glasses, or is it better? Is it are putting those things like the lenses above your fly? You know, those, are those good as well? That's a great question, Dave. For me, anyway, uh, and I've tried and used both uh, the big magnifying lens, um, which obviously really doesn't work with me with the camera. That that's kind of a a deal killer there. But for me having the glasses on is much, much better because I can move my head around to examine different parts of the fly and keep everything in focus. Whereas when you have that big lens, um, it's not nearly as movable and you, you don't get to see the details in the fly as well. Um, and, you know, checking both sides, checking the view from the front, from the back. And, and so uh, definitely the glasses. And what I, what I advocate, if you have even if you don't have any doubts about your close-up vision, is go to the dollar store, okay? Grab one of those little plastic baskets that they have, walk over to the eyeglass, the magnifier display, and just pluck one. Start at 1.0, grab a pair of them. They're a buck a piece. Go all the way down and go to the highest magnification you can get. Bring them home and get yourself a safe working or, you know, good working distance from your fly, what's comfortable for you, and then just try on those different pairs uh, going up the scale and, and whatever comes into focus, just like at the eye doctor. Um, that's that's what you go with then. And, you know, if you're if you're, um, you know, fairly young, just just be prepared for that to change as you get older. No, and that resonates with me totally because I remember it was about three, uh, maybe two, three years ago. Same thing. I was kind of like getting annoyed with tying flies. I was just like, "Wow, this isn't really fun." And then, and then I was at the doctor, like, "Yeah, glasses." And I put on the glasses and came back, and it was, yeah, it was a, <laughs> like you said, an eye opener. Yeah. Um, I'm curious on the light. So, so on the light, is there a specific type of light that is more helpful, or, or just get a bright light? No, I, it, very important to have. Um, uh, a daylight light. And these, these used to be, you know, uh, specialty lights. Uh, but now everything is like daylight balance because you don't want to have, um, you know, incandescents are very, very warm lights. Uh, fluorescents are, are very, are cool lights. They tend to be blue, you know, incandescents are more yellowy and in red than anything, but something that's daylight balanced and, um, in video it's 5,600 K uh, 5,600 Kelvin, um, it is because that's pretty much what sunlight is. And so you, you want the fly, not many people fish indoors that I know of. Um, so, you know, you, you want your flies to look like they're going to look like same as they look outside. And, um, so yeah, daylight balanced. I like something that that's fairly diffuse and and not real directional so they're not a lot of super harsh shadows and if it's real directional not diffuse that you top your fly if the lights above it can be just bright 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 but the underneath is in the shadows basically dark dark and so a more diffuse light really works well um for a lot of people and and this has just come about because kind of COVID and people zooming and, and, and vlogging and things like that. But a small ring light is really, really nice. Uh, and no need to put it between you and the fly, uh, a ring light over top, directly over top, almost like a halo, uh, where it works really, really well. It, get, it kind of brings light all around the fly. So it's kind of backlit, 
Uh, it's kind of front lit, and uh, because they're generally more diffuse, they, it just it's a very comfortable light to tie with. There you go. Perfect. These are good. Well, let's keep on this for a little bit. I'm just curious, you know, a couple more. Maybe you broke out a, a good tip there. What, what would be another couple you'd add to this maybe that are just pop in your head as far as these little tying, you know, tips or tricks, techniques? One that I'm constantly doing, I, I'm, I'm fortunate. I get to be featured tire at the, the one of the featured tires at the fly fishing shows, which is really, really, really cool. And it's, you know, I'm tying different patterns, but most of the time it's those patterns I chose because they have a bunch of tips with them. But the one that, that really kind of surprises me that, that people don't know and don't use is when you're wrapping uh, materials that have multi strands. In other words, say the body on a pheasant tail, where you have three or four or five pheasant tail fibers, is okay, you've got them tied in. Let's say you're using the tips as uh, for the tails, okay? And your, your, your tying thread is located right back at the start of the bend. Rather than winding your tying thread forward up the body of the fly, then winding those, those three, four, or five pheasant tail fibers, wrap behind your tying thread. And with each wrap of those fibers, you have to push up on your tying thread the weight of the bobbin. Uh, this is much easier to see than it is to describe. So you're wrapping behind your tying thread and pushing it up every time you wrap. And what that does is it keeps those three or four fibers sandwiched together. And you won't have one that wants to race up the hook shank before the others or one that wants to flip over onto its back and show you just stem. Uh, this works, works especially well with peacock curl. And um, the other advantage there is when you wrap it and kind of pull the peacock curl by alongside that tying thread that's hanging down, it actually teases the little flues on the peacock curl out. So I, I went from um, tying just horrible looking Prince Nymph bodies to just by changing my technique and doing that to getting the nice, big, full, full bodies, even with like three hurls, you know, you don't have to throw a whole ton of hurls at them. And, uh, so yeah, that's a big one. If anything that's multi-stranded like that, if you wrap behind your tying thread, it really, really works. There you go. Now those are, and those are the little things that make, you know, when you look at your, your flies or your videos, those are the things that stand out because you see that. Yeah. On the, on the pheasant tail, it's obvious that, you know, everything looks really yeah, clean, yeah. right? And that's the difference. Yeah, it's clean. That's a good, that's a good tip. No, this is good. I think there's probably, like you said, there's 182 of these tips, so we could, we could dig. <laughs> yeah. I'll put links out to some of those other ones, um, you know, as well. And I mean, there's so many, you know, places here, Tim, I would love to kind of dig out down into. I'm, I'm curious, you know, fly materials is one thing I, you know, like some, like I have a bunch of materials. I don't buy a heck of a lot these days because I have a ton of materials. Do you still pick up new materials or do you, are you pretty much, you know, you've got everything you need. Are you still buying materials out there? I buy materials almost every day, Dave. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Awesome. It is. In fact, I, I'm here in my uh, kind of studio tying room looking around and I'm not sure I can fit any more materials in here. It, it's there are fly shops that I seriously, I put to shame and yeah, it, it's, there, there are certain things that you just kind of, you gotta have. And 
because I tie over such a wide range, you know, from saltwater flies to, to salmon flies, to little teeny midges, um, you know, to, to, to big, you know, full on blue water flies, it's different material. And, um, and there's also, you know, new materials coming out or relatively new materials coming out and, and tools as well. And, then one of the things that's, I don't know whether you've noticed it, but there are more, to me, smaller materials providers uh, coming out, which I think is just great, whether it's uh, guys that are, you know, are breeding for hackle um, or guys that are making their own custom dubbing blends. And first of all, I like to support them. Uh, but secondly, I, I mean, this stuff is, uh, there's a reason they're doing it. It's it's specialty material. It's it can't you can't get it anywhere else. And um, and I just I love that stuff. Just just a slightly different look. And and one of the things one of the things those new materials can do is you you can take like a really old pattern pattern that's say 150 years old, and just by changing out one or two materials. And maybe putting it on a sexier looking hook, you know, something, a black nickel barbless hook, for example, you can take that, that ancient pattern and really modernize it. Um, not taking away from the way it looked, you know, tied on a classic mustad hook or anything, but, uh, you, you can change the look and still stay with that same theme, if you will. And, and I think that's super cool as well. Add some new material in there. That is cool. Well, I'm just curious on materials because that is a great point I was going to ask you about. Can you give a shout out to one of those new materials? Because I know obviously a lot of people have different places they can go. You know, whiting is obviously a big you know producer of some really high quality you know feathers and necks and things. But what would be a good uh, kind of the smaller companies that you're talking about? Anything come to mind there? Oh yeah, <laughs> how long you got, <laughs> Dave? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give, give me just a quick yeah. Give me a little summary of what what you got in front of you. <laughs> Well, here are a couple things. I um, th this is not actually a company. I, I have a friend who uh, just amazing at producing his like duck skins or Hungarian partridge. Oh, and, oh yeah, yeah. And if you find somebody like that, uh, it's just yeah, it's huge. Um, and that's where you get into those kind of boutique materials. Uh, guys like um, Craig Matthews out of Blue Ribbon Flies, they always, always it have, it's not like mass market stuff, but in terms of elk hair and bird skins, it's just different. It's more expensive, you know, it's limited quantities, but you just get this just beautiful quality material. And I don't want to take anything away from guys, you know, like Wopsy or Hairline. They're mass producing. They have to produce in volume and they have great stuff. Very, very usable. It's just, it's not that real high end. Um, one of the guys that I, I do a lot of stuff with now is, uh, he's out in central Pennsylvania. His name's Evan Brandt and he owns Sidling Hill Hackle. And he's just, he's, I, I don't <laughs> want to hurt his feelings. He's just kind of like a local farmer. He's a dairy farmer, but has started raising chickens for hackle. And he has some of uh, Charlie Collins from, from the Catskills. He has some of Charlie's bloodline. And I've, you know, always liked Charlie's skins and feathers, uh, particularly for Catskill style drives. But Evan's doing some great work out there. And it's just different. It's, you know, it's not as mechanical um, is say whiting, you know, you're, you're, you're not getting the huge consistency or, you know, way, way long feathers and just perfection, but you're, you're getting 
more natural looking colors, kind of modeled stuff. So love that. The other one, and I just started using some of the material and I'm absolutely sold on it. Um, and I hope I'm not going to mess up his name. Um, it's John Romer, uh, Arizona fly company. I hope that's right. Sorry, John. Um, and he, he has a dubbing called Simi seal, which if, um, seal fur, you know, very, very hard. True seal is, is very hard to get. And, uh, the semi seal stuff is about as close in translucency, uh, as you can get to, to regular seal fur. And he just has this ridiculous wealth of blends of colors, insane. And, uh, some short fiber stuff as well as uh, mega semi seal, which are longer fibers. So, so yeah, there, there are two of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They really, really like. Cool. So if, if somebody wanted to dig deeper down, I mean, this is pretty amazing right here. You know, some of these unique is where would you send somebody if they wanted to learn about some of these other more unique, uh, companies, is that something you just kind of have to do your research or what, what would you tell them? Yeah. And I'll, you know, I, on the tying videos, I don't really come out and go, you got to try this. You got to, you know, but I will like on the, the video that just went up, I did uh, a video. It's, it's one of Paul Beal's patterns, Paul Beal from Frankenfly, a great website. And, uh, Paul, um, uh, a while ago sent me the recipe for this, this smallmouth fly called the yellow meanie. Um, and that uses semi seal, a mix of semi seal and Franken dub in it. So you, 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 you get to see it by watching the tying videos. You'll see the stuff that I'm kind of hyped about. And again, I really, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't like stuff that's like super, super promotional, but I, I do like to get, you know, I'll show the packaging or whatever and kind of hint that it's good stuff. And, yeah, that's good. No, I think yeah. that, that's all helpful. That's and, and Paul, yeah, I'll put a link out to, uh, we had Paul on the podcast a while back and it yeah. was a good, a fun episode. Um, I, I'm curious, I was thinking about this before you mentioned your flies and you have all this material. I mean, just like daily, are you tying, I mean, how many flies are you tying daily or your weekly or are you just tying a lot or is it kind of a standard, uh, amount? It's, it, it goes week to week and a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with, for me, I also guide and I also do oh, wow. hosted trips. <laughs> and so to, um, uh, right now, um, Montana every summer and, uh, Patagonia, um, in the spring, if, if I can get into Patagonia ever again, um, and, you know, hopefully expanding that as well. And so, you know, if, if I'm going on a trip, I'm tying a lot for the trip. And uh, prior to that, uh, the other thing is I'm constantly looking for new flies to tie on video and either practicing them or modifying them. And so, you know, I'm not like a commercial tire in any sense. I, I do do, if I have the time, I'll tie flies for the, the local fly shop here in town. Um, but other than that, you know, it, I'm not tying in the volume, the volume that a lot of people are, it's more all over the place. Um, I do, uh, one, again, one of the, one of the tips, tying tips, um, and everybody hears this, no one does it is, uh, not just tie a dozen of the same flies in a sitting, but, uh, and this was told to me years ago, um, by a guy who used to own the local fly shop. And that's tie 15. And when you tie 15, when you're done with that 15th fly, be real disciplined, go through those 15 
and take out three that aren't as good. And it makes you be, it gets you to be so much more critical with your work, taking out three, put them in a cup, you know, uh, give them to local boy scouts or take them down to the fly shop is, you know, free flies for young, young people, something like that. They're absolutely fishable. They, they look fine, but what that taking away those three makes you be hypercritical of what you're tying. Um, and you will become a better tire as a result of doing that. There you go. That's a, uh, that's a nice tip as well. Yeah. Awesome. So the 15, okay. Yeah. Take some discipline to do, you know, and obviously some time, but a surefire way to quickly become a better tire is to do that. Gotcha. How do you decide on, uh, you know, patterns like, you know, a new pattern comes up. That's always an interesting one, right? Do you, do you have a constant feed of people giving you like, you know, we want to hear from, you know, we want to see this or how do you choose the next fly for, for the next? (laughs) It's all over the place. I I do have a list of patterns, um, that I want to tie, but then uh, things will come up. Like I, you know, I'll have a trip. I got to go up and go smallmouth fishing, uh, with the guys, uh, from new fly fisher, I uh, got to go up to Algoma country in Canada, um, this past fall. And, and so that got me going, you know, I interrupted my, what I was going to tie and did a, a whole bunch of small mouth patterns stuffed in there. So it can change at a whim. If I, you know, if conditions are really good down off the beach, uh, here in New Jersey, uh, you might see a saltwater pattern or two to pop up just because I need them. And it's like, what, what, why, you know, if I haven't tied it before, um, you know, something for, for the Albies, uh, throw a pattern in there and then, uh, purely selfish, you know, I'm tying those 15 for myself <laughs> and, and YouTube audience just has to watch along, but, um, there you go. That's good. And, uh, yeah, I, I think the deceiver is one. I was looking at some of your top viewed videos and yeah. the deceiver made the top 10 or whatever. And most of them were kind of your, you know, your pheasant tails, hairs, ears, the typical stuff you'd think, but definitely you got that deceiver in there that the people are loving that. Yeah. And then I, you know, I go in, in kind of different spurts. Uh, I got, and still am real into intruder style flies tied on shanks. Uh, and you know, with the hook behind kind of Pacific Northwest style, um, a lot of that came because I started doing trout spay, which um, really cool fishing technique for me. And and now it's um, it's tube flies. I'm kind of really getting into tube flies more and more, and that's a lot of fun. That that's uh, boy some stuff with tube flies that I just I I didn't really see coming. Um, you know, I knew the advantages of them, but uh, now that I've started tying them, some some neat stuff. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. The CRC system from Trestle provides secure and convenient storage for your fully rigged fly rods with unsurpassed gear protection. Every CRC system comes with secure mounting clamps, padding in the reel compartment, and their proprietary suspended rod liners. Leave your gear on your vehicle full time or quickly take the CRC system down and telescope it into carry mode in just a few minutes with the fastest and easiest to use mounting system on the market. From the very first time I connected with John, I knew this was going to be a great fit for the podcast. Uh, Making it easier and faster to get on the water is a huge part for me, especially in the ever crazy and increasingly busy world. Not only are these rods secure for me and the family, but they are always rigged and ready to go. 
Equipped with their patented protective no-snag reel-up design, this is not your average rod carrier. Carrying your rods with reels facing up means more protection for your guides, blink, reel seat, and also allows for a better fit if you have a hatchback. Too much good stuff here for me to cover it all, so I'm going to have to send you over to uh, Trestle and check it out for yourself. You can go there right now. Just uh, take a look at wetflyswing.com slash Trestle and you can get started right now. That's Trestle, T-R-X-S-T-L-E. That's T-R-X-S-T-L-E. You support this podcast by clicking over through that link to check out what John and the Trestle crew have going right now. Okay, back to the show. I'm trying to think, I can't, we recently had an episode we were talking about some tube flies and stuff. Uh, give us a, like tying a tube fly. If somebody was going to tie that, do you have a tip or a technique or something that pops out there? tie-in tubes one of the things is to try to and just did the second one on kind of tube fly basics on those one minute tips and techniques it's so overwhelming when when you first get into it there there are just so many different types of tubes and weights and metal tubes poly tubes and you know different rigidities of the tubes and then different ways to different kind of mounts whether you tie what kind of thing fits in your tying vice to what kind of mandrel and um and just try to stay simple if you can that's sort of the idea that i'm doing with those one minute ones and really just go for a very common common tube and a common hook holder i wouldn't go crazy on colors or sizes um just pick something middle of the road not too small not too large and basically tie streamers that you've already tied before in other words tie woolly buggers you're you're already familiar with the the tying sequence on those you know tail body um hackle wound and and then but just sort of translate that to the tube and you know a mickey finn for example um simple fly like that and then if you're if you're doing salmon flies stick with something you know a, a blue charm or an undertaker and you know nothing that's too crazy and get used to tying it on a tube one of, one of the things that i found and, and nobody ever told me this with tube flying is because the tubes are a much larger diameter than the shank of a hook it's much easier to tie in materials for me anyway, you know, getting, say, um, jungle cock eyes on side to side and oriented the way you want them, you just kind of have that, I don't, it's not really more surface area, but that, that curve isn't as small. Um, and, and so things don't seem to want to spin around as much as they do on, on a regular metal shank hook. There you go. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're gonna wrap this up here pretty quick here, Tim. But I just wanted to fill out this list. We've been we've been kind of knocking off a few tips and things here, and I'll and I'll highlight that that one eighty two is gonna be at the top of the show notes. But um, but give us a couple more, maybe two or three more of these little tips, techniques, or or whatever for fly tying that we could fill out this list. Anything else come to mind? Maybe videos that you had out of that one eighty two. Okay, um, one of them, and, and this is kind of simple. It, it's a more a beginner technique, but. I even see advanced tires doing this when you're whip finishing a fly. First of all, to, to make that knot truly efficient is whip finish from back to front. Okay. That, that it puts the most wraps over top of the thread 
that you're pulling back underneath those wraps, okay? If you go front to back, it really, it's not anywhere near as secure or not. Number two with the whip finish. So, so back to front with the whip finish. Number two is seat that knot really well. Um, take the thumb of your right hand, the thumbnail of your right hand, kind of hook it against the hook eye, if you will, and then but pull on the thread. Work it back and forth with your bobbin hand and really dig it in there. Make sure that knot is seated well, because if, if it's not seated well, even though there's thread under the wraps, it's just not secure. Um, it, it, it's kind of like doing a clinch knot to tie on a fly and not seating the knot, honestly. And so seat the knot just as you would, you know, when you're tying on a fly. Um, the other one, is when when you're when you're snipping or I use a little chisel on the back of my bobbin to cut my tying thread, which is also kind of unique. But um, is put the thread under tension when when you go to snip it off, and what happens is just that little bit of tension is going to make the using your tying scissors or or the chisel on the back of your whip finish tool. It's going to make that thread part much easier, and it's also going to pull that tag end just a little bit underneath those thread wraps so you don't get that little frayed thing that sticks out. And, you know, when you put head cement or whatever it is on there, you still end up seeing that little frayed piece. Um, so, yeah, uh, back to front on the whip finish, seat the knot really well, and then thread tension when you go to snip it off. There you go. Okay. Well, I think that that finishes out a pretty decent list there. I, I'm curious, <laughs> yeah, as, uh, you know, we mentioned Tom and Tom we've had on the podcast. It was a great episode. I think he dug into some beginner fly fishing tips and obviously he's got a ton of good resources. Talk about that quick. I'm curious how you met Tom. Have you known him a long, a long time or how, how'd that come to be? Yeah, it was, it's just, I kind of, um, uh, we, gosh, I forget it was a discussion about using, and, and I was dealing with Phil Monahan, who who runs the Orvis Fly Fishing Blog, and um, I think that's you know initial contact at Orvis, and um, and you know what what we could do to incorporate our fly tying videos into the fly fishing blog on a specific day, um, you know, for it to go up on, on a specific day, um, and then. I, I think the first contact with Tom really was uh, Phil mentioned doing his uh, rabbit's foot emerger, and this probably seven or eight years ago now. And and then you know starting just started talking with Tom and, and uh, you know asking questions about that, and then seeing each other at the fly fishing shows, and then I did a bunch of uh, podcasts with him. Um, and then, you know, um, just kind of evolved from there when, you know, sort of an organic, uh, friendship and, uh, healthy, friendly sort of sometimes competition between us. Yeah. That, that was, <laughs> that, that was part of the, um, uh, you know, part of the, one of the good things about the pandemic, I guess, was having, having the time and having kind of the audience, you know, more people with more free time to, to start doing these monthly tying competitions. And, and, uh, I, I really like doing it and, uh, we, we've had a great, great audience participation, a lot of good questions during them, a lot of good heckling. And so describe that a little bit for, so this is a tying, so this is on like on YouTube or how, how do you guys do this? How would somebody connect with this uh, tying? Ch is it a challenge or just competition? 
Yeah, it's it's a friendly competition, and we alternate months uh, who chooses the fly to tie, and and then it's generally at three o'clock the first Monday of the month, and so kind kind of mid afternoon seems a little weird now, but it worked out really well when most people were at home, um, but we still, I mean, even with most people back to work, we we have a pretty good audience somehow. I guess sure. a lot of people. Just like you said, the phones, people are watching a lot of this on the phone at work and everything, right? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we just go back and forth. The interesting thing is, and he he hates hearing this because I guess it makes him sound old, but I really learned to tie from Tom Rosenbauer a lot. Oh, wow. of, yeah, he, he did these. I mean, he must have been in his 20s when he was doing them. Um, uh, these little uh, three ring binder books for Orvis that were just at the time. Uh, just good pictures, good recipes, techniques built in on some of them. And, and I learned, I still have the books. I have a ton, um, got a oh, ton wow. of them. So it's really interesting for me to tie, you know, kind of head to head with him. But what's, what's amazing is even though I've sort of learned from him is how differently we tie the same fly, um, and end up with pretty much the same result. And, and so it really tells you that, that it, it doesn't have to be a certain way, that there's like no proper way to tie a, uh, a fly and that they're, they're weird little tricks, you know, that you can do, um, to arrive to the same point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I, I love, I love that story. You know, you literally, you met Tom, you know, not, not too long ago, but you've, you've known about him and he's taught you way before you first met him. Right. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And really all his books um have helped out uh just a ton. And of course, you know, seeing him on video and he he's he's uh, doing more and more uh, it seems uh tips and techniques, not just tying, but the the fishing part as well. So, yeah, everything. Uh, yeah. yeah, he he himself is just a, a huge resource in terms of fly fishing. Um yeah, I'm not sure if it's been, um, I mean, you think about the resources out there, it feels like, and we had Phil Monahan talked about that we, when he was on recently and yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, they doing a daily fly fishing blog, right? They, there's, I mean, there's probably others doing it now, but they started doing that a while back. Yep. I mean, they've got, I think, God, what is it like 16,000 blog posts or something crazy like that? You know I mean? The content is unbelievable. It is. Yeah. And good stuff too, you know, um, covering the range from artists to tying to different techniques to conservation issues. Uh, it, yeah, that the fly fishing blog is a great thing. Um, what is the, you know, and as we have some brands definitely that listen to this and, uh, you know, I'm curious from the YouTube's perspective, would you give, uh, maybe a tip on that end? Like if somebody's trying to, you know, they're struggling with their YouTube, right? They got a real, you know, the quality isn't good. What, what would be a, is there a general tip or some things to be thinking about that might help that person? This is not going to sound good, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, if you're producing videos, tying videos, produce them for the audience, not for yourself. Um, I, I, and again, that sounded horrible coming out, but, but I see people doing that and they're doing it to promote themselves as opposed to teach people. And, and I believe that that's not why people go on YouTube, particularly for fly tying. It, it's to learn. It's, it's not to, you know, help hype somebody else. And it's just more valuable to people. And, you can do some of that. You, you can kind of hype yourself as a tire, but for instance, somebody who, who goes on and 
is tying a fly and, and tells you that they're using a material you're never going to find. Um, right. <laughs> that just doesn't seem <laughs> fair to me. <laughs> and, yeah. And so, so why, why are you showing me this? If, if I'm never going to be able to get that material, right. Um, just kind of a pet peeve of mine. And, and I watch a people would be shocked. Oh, you do. You watch a lot of videos. Oh yeah. I, I watch a ton. And from, you know, the, the guy in mom's basement, um, you know, tying, uh, with the washing machine going in the background. And, <laughs> why do you do that? What, what, why, why watch all the random videos, tying videos? Because there is, I'm telling you, there is always something. And again, I come back to techniques, um, or materials that there's always something, even if they're doing something wrong, it gives me an idea of how to, a different way to do it. Right. I, I just, I want to see other people tying and it's, um, it's why I like doing tying classes. You, you watch people that are maybe struggling with something, but it, it gives me another idea. One, maybe how to, something I can do to help them to do it uh, better or, you know, changes the way I look at it and go, wow, I never thought of doing it that way. That's not quite going to work, but it might work somewhere else. And so watching other people tie is ex extremely valuable. Right. Yeah. That's an, another uh, good thought there. So, and, and what about, so these tying classes, are these all at a local fly shop or is this something you're doing online? Well, here's the thing. I do them when I can at the local fly shop. Um, and you know, uh, there it's Shannon's fly shop here in Califon, New Jersey. I guide through them and, uh, and they, they actually, the tying classes are, are free of charge and uh, amazing. We got Catskill tires that come down. Wow. A lot of local New Jersey guy in Pennsylvania guys, uh, Matt Grobert, Alan Landier, John Collins, uh, just all, and I'm sure I'm, um, Bart Lombardo, Lou DeJenna and, you know, name, uh, fly tires all give classes there. It's really, it's really kind of incredible. Um, but one of the things that came with the pandemic is doing fly tying through Zoom. And what I've figured out is, you know, nothing's quite like being in front of, front of people and being able to walk around the room and look at flies, maybe help them out with different things, make corrections. But with the Zoom anyway, I can show them because I have a multi-camera setup here and I have a video switcher, I can show them better what I'm doing than I can in person. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, because I can, even if I bring a, a television monitor to one of my classes and, you know, have, have that set up with the camera between me and the fly, that's kind of the one view that I can do when I'm in that situation here, when I'm in my studio, I can have a camera that points to me so I can talk to the camera, talk to people, answer questions. I have another one between me and the fly that shows me tying, I can zoom in and zoom out with that to say, you know, maybe show putting dubbing on. Plus I have another camera that I can show materials prep for and just switch live back and forth on the video switcher between the three cameras. And if I need to have a video source that plays off my iPhone, and so if I wanted to show what the real nymph looks like underwater and I have footage of it, um, I, I'll, I'll go to that. And so I just have uh, so many more things at my fingertips. And obviously it also allows me to, to reach much further, you know, uh, in person, I, you know, traveling is always an issue. And with this, I can, I can, in this, this past year, I've done them when I've actually done three separate tying zooms in an 
afternoon kind of working my way from east to west and you know two hours at a time end up in california doing a, a fly fly tying presentation so and these are zooms are these uh, like live events or is this uh, recorded they're live but um at the time you know to uh whether it's a club or a trout unlimited chapter um and and so it's really to to just to their group, which makes sense. Oh, um, gotcha. I, yeah, I, yeah. I'm pay, I'm paid by them for these presentations, and I see. Yeah. Uh, just just like doing a normal presentation that I'd drive to or whatever. Um, but then they record them most of the time, and we'll password protect them so they're available uh, to the members, you know, of that club or whatever. They, That's they, a cool. Yeah, that's a yeah. cool so thing they, to do. I mean, I think, yeah, it's great. They have it as a resource uh, on their, you know, website that, that they can get to. So, um, yeah, it's it's been an interesting, um, you know, one of those things. Didn't really see that one coming either, and uh, fortunately, we're, we were able to get the video gear to help to do that. And uh, how do you? Um, I'm curious, you know, just on who you choose. I'd imagine that you know you you get a lot of people reaching out to you to do things. Is that something you find you struggle to? Um, do everything you want to do, or, or is that pretty easy to, to you know, sp- and especially with days with COVID now with the COVID kind of hopefully lessening, but is that a challenge for you? It is a challenge. There are some things that I'd really like to do, but I, I do, I need to be careful of my calendar. And uh, we've kind of in the past year learned that the hard way. And I have to, you know, limit the to me and, and to my wife, who Joan, who does a lot of the scheduling, um, you know, it's it's easy to look at the calendar and go, oh, you know, you got this, 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 and this. And but if those things, you know, land on a day where weather conditions are good, and I have somebody that I could guide, you know, I, I don't want to take away from that. And oh, so right. it's it's kind of this constant battle because it's so easy to fill up the calendar with stuff. There's so many different things. And so I, I do, I, I have to be careful and limit it. And some, sometimes it, it just stinks. You know, I, I really would like to do, you know, a podcast or a zoom with this group, but I, I, I do need to keep that time open. And, and, uh, one of the big things is for me as a videographer is to just get out and produce content. And, uh, I need the time to do that. That's that content goes into my presentations that I do online and at fly fishing shows. And if I'm so booked that I can't get out there and do it, I I don't have that content. That's the benefit of probably, yeah, the guiding thing too, not, not only the monetary piece, but just being active and continuing to teach, right? Is that, is, have you, are you a teacher? I mean, obviously you're a teacher, but have you always thought of yourself as a teacher? No, no. But the first job that I have for an educational publisher was uh, it was for, you know, school classrooms and mostly science based. But we were doing video based programs back well before anybody else did them. And what I've always kind of taken away from that is how valuable classroom time is to teachers like every minute. And you just don't want to waste it. And so I think that's reflected in my video and kind of in the way I teach is that that I want it as concise as possible. I don't want to waste people's time. And but, yeah, I I guess the teaching is a result of those years of working in that industry and in kind of realizing that you, you need to be rocket clear and that they're 
there are many things that, that can be that are sort of ambiguous and you you don't want to get people tripped up so need need to be clear and concise there you go all right, all right, Tim. And one random one uh, before we get out of here. I'm just curious. So you're you're an, you're a tying expert. You know, you're a fishing. You're a guide. Um, I'm curious. What what are you an expert in other than that's totally random? Anything else that's not has anything to do with fly fishing or, or tying that you would consider yourself kind of an expert or that maybe that you have a passion in? Well, it, it's funny you should ask that. It's not. I'll try to keep it short. But over the years, I have been. I get very very into things. And a lot of people will have no idea about this, but I, until very recently, I avid surfer since I was, yeah, early teens and, uh, have, have had the opportunity to surf, um, you know, quite a, quite a different, few different spots, certainly around the country, a uh, few around the world. And, um, but the surfing led to competitive windsurfing for a number of years and then uh, blue water marlin tuna fishing for, for a number of years <laughs> and, you know, fishing the tournaments up and down the East Coast. And I am also uh, not so much anymore because of my schedule, but an avid bow hunter um, and was real into uh, shooting sports, trap and sporting clays for many years. And so, yeah, kind of all over the place and uh, always... Um, Probably to excess. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> you go, you go. It sounds like you go all in on. It. Is is the yeah. everything you do is like the production quality of your videos, right? Yeah, yeah. I I, I really have a hard time kind of going halfway on things. So, uh, but but yeah. Now now we're um, uh, fly tying and fly fishing are, are are real big. But within that, you know, there are these little subsets like trout spay and spay and tube flies and and so going down those rabbit holes but uh, it, it's all good it is no and, and i love i obviously these are always the tough ones you know i get a guest like yourself on and we could chat for a long time like spay would be fun to dig into so maybe oh, yeah. maybe if we get you out again we'll, we'll dig into some spay and, and all that because that's a whole other uh you know kind of issue or you know questions and things but um nice tim well i will let you get out of here um Let's see. I guess tightlinevideo.com. Is that the best place to send everybody? Yep. Yeah. Send questions. The other thing people can do if they like, um, it's real easy, is any video that I have on YouTube, just go into the comments field and and say, I heard you on uh, Wet Fly Swing. Oh, cool. And got a question for you. Um, I answer as many as I can. At least I, I look at them. It's, you know, um, it's in the dozens every day, uh, you know, across all the videos. But, um, you know, I, I try to get back to people when I can. Oh, good. There you go. <laughs> so that's going to be the call to action to everybody. This, 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 we mentioned at the start. So if you're not over it yet, we're going to go, go to your channel, uh, tight line uh, video, and we're going to uh, look if you're at hundred K and if not, we're, everybody's going to subscribe and then comment and, and note wet, wet fly swing. So we'll see if we could put you over the top here. Super. And as they say, smash that like button too. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. Nice. <laughs> All right, Tim. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I just wanted to thank you for coming on and spending the time here. And um, yeah, I mean, everything you've done, obviously, it's a humongous resource and, and it's been fun watching your videos. And I'm excited to always, you know, link out to you again and, and keep the word going. So thanks for taking the time today. All right. Well, thank you, Dave, for having me. It was, uh, that was a lot of fun. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all the links, and everything else we covered today, head over to wetflyswing.com slash 279. 279. That is 279. Please subscribe if you get a chance. Uh, click that uh, subscribe button or that plus button in Apple. 
upper right corner just click that and follow the show or subscribe wherever you're at and uh, you will get updated when our next episode drops and i am sure it's going to be a good one i am out of here i am late into the night so i want to thank you for uh hanging out with me tonight this is one of those uh man one of those times when the the uh the eyes are starting to close and uh and i think it's it's time to call it quits so i appreciate you for hanging out all night uh here late into the night and i am looking forward to hitting play on that next episode uh, looking forward to seeing you online or on the river thanks for listening to the wet fly swing fly fishing show for notes and links from this episode visit wetflyswing.com